Doctor, look. Stand aside, nurse. I'm Doctor Homebrew. Everybody, it's Dr. Homebrew. Again. Again, still, always. We're back here in the studio. We're going to talk homebrewed beer with you and uh, probably a homebrewer. I don't know. We'll see. We're also going to talk about. What is that? <laughs> That's my kid. <laughs> okay, what's he saying? He made up a word. It's. Oh. That is called action? I think so. Okay. All He's right. taking over the world. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, to be honest with you, the world needs to be taken over. True that. <laughs> I don't know. By us? The, the good people. Homebrew? By anybody, to be honest. Even the me. Especially homebrew. me right now. Uh, yeah. Like So anyway, welcome. We have uh, our first ever, I think, Brian, you might correct me on this, our first ever canned homebrew tonight. I... I'm trying to recall. Did we ever get a can here before? Oh, maybe we did, to be well, we honest. Actually, so for the next show that we're going to do after this, we we have another can. So this is definitely well, yeah, the first time we've had two two different cans. Yeah, but the next show doesn't matter. Yeah. Only this show matters. Only this show matters. Yeah. <coughs> well, anyway, it feels like the first time, the very first time. Uh, I should write a song about that. So uh, I'm pretty stoked on that. But before we get to all that nonsense, thank you to Five Star. Go to fivestarchemicals.com. Learn about the best way to clean and sanitize your home brewing equipment, plus anything else that you have in your house that you want cleaned and then sanitized. Uh, there is no sanitization without cleaning first. Did you say insanitized? Insanitized. I may have. I don't know, man. I'm tired. I just got back last night, late last night, from a trip to Disneyland. Oh, nice. For three days. Yeah, you would think. You would think it was nice, but in fact, it was a horror show. Um, apparently, it was not only Columbus Day, which... Who the mm-hmm. who the hell? People still celebrate that. Yes. Who gets Columbus Day off? Schools. Bankers, I think. Bankers, I think. Kids. But but I wouldn't. It's I, parent teacher conference week, so everybody gets schools at least half day off. Yeah, on, well, all week. And and then someone in line for security was saying uh, that it's fall break. And I'm like, when the fuck did hmm. fall break become a thing? I thought that was Thanksgiving break. And she was saying, well, uh, a lot of schools do it in halves. They just barely started school. They barely, well, apparently they start school in August now. Yeah, now it starts super early. Well, yeah, like, I, I so it starts in super early, and then you get uh, like half a week off uh, for fall break, and then the other half of your week for for Thanksgiving. When did this? When did this start? It's confusing to me. And then the other half of the week for fall guy reruns. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I really agree that Thanksgiving week is a great idea because everyone travels so much, and half the kids end up taking off like a day or two or all week anyway. Yeah, if you're going somewhere, that way you don't have the travel like Wednesday night. And it's a good idea. But this fall break thing, yeah, I've never heard of such a thing. It sounds r- ridiculous, but that park, dude, was was the pretty much the busiest I've ever seen. It was really? atrocious. We left early on Monday. We're like, I, we can't do anything. All the fast passes for all the rides were already out. <clears throat> and we have sort of a timeline with the kid anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's like mm-hmm. 7.30. By the way, Yearsup.com? beers at... Disneyland or DCA, eleven dollars now. Jesus Christ! Yeah, Man- Carthay Manhattan at Carthay Lounge, seventeen dollars and fifty cents. We left. Well, it's probably still a bargain for Disneyland to get a Carthay Manhattan for under twenty bucks. It wasn't even that good. No, it used to be fourteen bucks. But still, it's they a, raised the price. And you're saying it's not that kind of, Have they changed how they make it? They used to be like, I'm not a Manhattan they, fan. They used to be but. amazing, and this one had too much vermouth. I think hmm. they just like screwed it up. So it was it was the, the fact that um, I was getting a uh, very expensive drink that wasn't made well. Pissed me the hell off, dude. I was mad. It was two drinks. Uh, Taryn and I got, we each got one drink. So it was two drinks and a glass of milk, $44. We left. <laughs> We're like, fuck this, dude. I'm so pissed. Oh, man. I wrote a, I wrote an email to Disney. Not wow. like they're going to ever read it. No one's going to give a shit. I have a podcast about you guys. Well, maybe <laughs> no. if Terrence becomes a Disney mom, no, maybe no, you every, could we're take all care out. of oh, all right. Yeah, but it was it was more of just like uh, the only reason I go, not the only reason, but I, I said a third to a half of the reason I go to DCA in the first place is to go get a beer and like sit down on the bench and just relax and have, and just catch up and just kind of rest a little bit. 
but not for $11. No, that's way too much. I go, you've raised the prices on food, but food has gotten better. Food at the park has yeah. gotten a lot better. Really? Yeah, you raise the price on the hmm. ticket, we get new lands like Star Wars land. But you raise the price on beer, we don't get anything out still of it. Still the same beer, yeah. It's still the same beer. You know what might have anyway. made you happier uh, after that Manhattan? No. Second Manhattan. I th- trust me, I thought about it, and then I was like, I can't. I cannot do it. Or it might have just driven you further down the anger hole, where you might have just gone full-on, like, falling <laughs> down on DCA. I mean, and then you'd never be able to go back. <laughs> can you imagine $75 for four drinks? Or whatever the yeah. math is, like that's it's. So that's where that's where I was at in my head. I was like, you know, and then I told him in the email that nobody's ever going to read. Like we usually stay for an hour and get food, but now we yeah. didn't because we left because it was too expensive. Well, I hear you because if you're going to San Francisco and you're going to like Smuggler's Cove or Whitechapel or something, fourteen and you're bucks, spending man. fourteen fifteen dollars, yeah. but it's you like get a pretty nice. It is really cocktail. super premium, yep. and you're getting what you're paying. And even even when you figure in, you're going to the lands, and yeah, you're paying more than you would pay for anything outside. That's still a lot for something that's not made well. Yeah. Did you consider uh, mentioning politely to the bartender, "Hey, man, this is all jacked up. Could I get a different one?" Um, I thought about it honestly. Uh, Taryn was like, uh, "We just you send What's it back." That? I'm like, "I'm not going to send it back. I just don't care." They were just too busy or, or just, something. No, or you I, were just, just like, I just screw it. I wasn't gonna... worth it at that point. I was tired. I'd been there for two days. I was hot. And I was like, "I, I'm just, I'm over it. I'm just pissed off enough to not do it." You know, when you get so <laughs> mad that you just don't even want to fix the thing. That you're you're, you're, you're already like that. invested you're in being angry, and you want to stay angry. Yeah, I've I've been there. You're the yeah. one year old, and your one year old is like, Dad, stop <laughs> melting down. Basically, yeah. But uh, anyway, you can hear more about it on our show on earsup-podcast.com. Thank you very much. All right, let's get. So, well, what do you want to do? We have to take two breaks. What? Let's, let's get just, uh, let's get Kenny on the line Kenny here now, here, yeah. right? Why not? Oh my God, they killed Kenny! Oh no. Sorry, I, I'm sure I, I haven't watched that show in like 15 years. It's still on. I've heard that. God bless him. It's like Let's The Simpsons. It's been around for like 30 years. Yeah. Ken, are you there? Ken. Oh. Ken, I cannot. Hello. Hello. Oh. What's up, dude? There he is. Can you hear me? Oh, wait. He's going in and out. Am I muted? No, I'm not muted. No, I'm I heard him muted. for a second. No device found. Hello. Oh. Hello. What Hello. the frig, dude? Oh. Are, are we I'm muted? Up. Um, I got you now. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I was about to start <laughs> panicking, man. You you got us? You good? I'm good. I got you. Now. All right. I, hello, I, hello. I had to hit the wrong button. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's late at night there. Yeah, so. don't do that, we'll man. You. How you doing, Ken? You all right? You good? You squared? I'm good. All right. I am. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey, man. Uh, before, you know, I don't really care about how long you've been brewing. Tell me about these cans. What are you doing <laughs> canning your own homebrew? What kind, of, what kind of bougie planet do you live on? No, um, I uh, when I went to Homebrew Con this year, that was one of my main goals was to uh, buy a canner. So really? uh, day one, I Damn. walked over to October Design and uh, bought one of the floor models and paid for it and picked it up on the last day. Wow, cool! Is it uh, easier than than bottling, or what's the draw from canning? Oh my god, it's so much easier. I can do a six pack in like one minute versus uh it seems to take me ten minutes to do two bottles on a counter pressure bottle filler. Why is that? I, I don't know if it's I, I'm just I got a cheap one from uh China off eBay and I, I don't know if it's <laughs> well, if it's just a piece of garbage or or what, but mm-hmm. I lose a lot of beer when I bottle and I don't lose near as much canning. Is it a? I imagine like whenever I would bottle, I would have a, a foaming issue. Do you have that? I did too. Okay. Yeah. Do you have that with the cans also, or is your can not, not so much with the cans. Uh, okay. I actually I just did made a couple adjustments on my kegging system and went from five foot lines to seven foot lines, and that seems to help too. Mm-hmm. So, so do you lid oh. on foam? When you put the lid I'm sorry. on, like you, people, when you bottle, you cap on foam is kind of the accepted wisdom because it pushes the oxygen out. So when you're putting the lids on, you know, do you have like foam that comes up at the top of the can? You put the lid on that and, and cap it? Yeah, typically what I do is uh, I have an extra hose running off of my uh, CO2 tank and I mm-hmm. purge the can. Mm-hmm. And and then I will uh, I'll fill it all the way up. And I, I talk to some brewers around my area, how they do their crawlers and stuff. And uh they said that they just take it all the way up to the top and then uh, kind of push the can, push the lid down and let it kind of overflow a little bit, wipe hmm. it off a bit, and take it over to the canner. Hmm. 
That does sound easy. Sounds good to me, man. Sign me up. Oh, it's it's so much easier, and, and it really wasn't that expensive for the canner for that October design one. Right on. Yeah, I saw those guys there. I remember bumping into them. Yeah, I chatted with those folks for a little while. Nice guys. Yeah, it, it was. I, I was either going to do that one or the cannular from uh, More Beer, but. Mm-hmm. I actually brew with the Robo Brew, and uh, I had issues with that before. And the cannula was made by Keg Connection, also, so I didn't want to. I, I just wanted to spend the money and get something that worked without problems. Yeah, I feel you on that one, dude. Okay, we're gonna crack another one of the cans here, just for ah, fun. It's a good idea. There we go. <laughs> That's kind of cool, dude. I'm not gonna lie. It's kind of cool. I, I just, I just wish the competitions that. I wish they accepted cans. <laughs> oh, they don't. Oh, well, I guess not, huh? Because that's no. I that's I imagine it's going to happen sooner or later, though, because yeah. now they're starting to push those can systems. Yeah, but so Brian, how could it? How could it happen? Because you're supposed to have bottles that don't even have like uh, colored caps or whatever. Yeah, so. well, if it's a nondescript can. You know, I mean, you, you can't assume you're going to be the only can in the competition if they allow cans. <laughs> oh, you can. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has to be that? something you address Thank in you. the uh, – uh, when you're setting up your competition, when you're in, – in your rules first you're going to accept. Because uh, like Brian was alluding to, you don't want to have a package that makes it clear that you're – it's your beer. Right. right? Uh, but right. if it's just an, a blank can, it's like a blank bottle. I mean, it could be anybody. Yeah. Cops get – Entries from anyone, and yeah, you you don't know. Oh, oh, some guy in the club cans, but maybe twenty other guys nearby can too. You don't know. Well, that's true. All right, right, I was thinking if I was sending it out to a major competition like NHC or something, the cans are blank. I mean, I I put labels on the ones you guys got, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could send a blank can. It's just a silver plain can. Having said that, you know, I've judged uh, God knows how many comps, and I've seen all manner of non-standard bottles and weird yeah. caps and stuff come through. And I've made a note of it, like, in bottle inspection, but I've never I've never DQ'd uh, an entrant for having non-standard packaging, and I've never seen right. anyone do that. And yeah, sometimes you see, like, the new Belgium. What's the difference between getting something in a can and something in, like, with a new Belgium logo around yeah, the, you the fat know, tire bottles communicate with the judge tell them this is my i'm in the new belgian bottles or give me the but it's still just one judge that you know and they you know if if the beer is crap how are that they're gonna twist the other judge's arms so hard that it wins a medal or a ribbon i don't know i mean i think most entrants are pretty honorable and most judges are are not going to allow themselves to be swayed by an entrant even one that they're best friends with to, to do something like that. I mean, the judges I know anyway. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't, I would just give people the benefit of the doubt and say it's a friendly competition. It's not like you're winning bajillions of dollars. You're getting a freaking <laughs> Well, ribbon. that's true. Right, exactly. Well, I was, I was thinking about emailing uh, the AHA and, and asking them next year, you know, before next year if, if, if they'll accept them in the, in the competition. Yeah, yeah do it. Absolutely, man. You know, Absolutely. I would, I would email the BJCP also, maybe Gordon Strong or somebody. Uh, because when you're looking at sanctioning a comp, a lot of those rules come from the BJCP, and it's probably time, given the popularity of canning, to go back and update those. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right, well, hey, let's get to Ken's beer, huh? Yeah. Let's do it. Do a whole canning show. Uh, Cooper, why don't you start us off? Okay, Kenny's Kolsch. We've got a 5B. Um, so in the aroma, yeah, uh, the, the can had a little hiss when we opened it. Um uh, malt-wise, I'm getting kind of a low, uh, kind of a plain pills, basic bready malt aroma. Um, but also in the nose, I'm getting a, a kind of a medium-low medicinal phenolic going on here. Um, there's some faint fruitiness, uh, but it's a bit buried, and I'd say low, kind of a low spicy herbal hop. Uh, I'm not getting any uh, DMS or, or buttery diacetyl in here. Um, and then I felt like I got um, medium... Pumpkin skin-like acid aldehyde in here as well. Just kind of that pumpkin skin aroma um, going on. So, But I was kind of debating whether it was just more of the phenolic or a little twist on the phenolic doing that. So um, anyway, uh, appearance-wise, it's medium light gold with a bit of haze and a low white head that fades pretty soon after pouring it. 
um, you know, the coal should have a nice fluffy head that sticks around. Well, it doesn't stick around, but it should push up a good fluffy head. And it doesn't have to, to linger forever. So that's fine. I don't think I knocked it down for um, for the head, but a little bit for the the haze. It should be fairly, fairly clear. Um, and then, um, you know, it's most, mostly finer bubbles. Uh, kind of ringing the glass after after that, and um, it's kind of yeah, kind of a, usually a Kolsch has a delicate white head, so it doesn't stick around too much anyway. So, um, but it will be filtered to uh, mostly the commercial versions are filtered, and they'll be brilliant. So, uh, you know, homebrew give it a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. It's not not super hazy at all. Uh, Flavor wise, getting a low bready pills malt in there, and again some. Uh, I felt like I got some medium acetaldehyde, kind of pumpkin skin, a little green apple-ish, but I get it more as pumpkin skin. Um, and then a v- pretty distracting and slightly biting uh, medicinal uh, chlorophenolic flavor, uh, consistent with the aroma. Um, bitterness is low, and it's balanced to the malt. Um, there's a very low spicy herbal hop in there. Uh, it finishes dry, and... Uh, the the phenolic lingers around in the aftertaste there, suggesting kind of a um, a flawed fermentation, something that, uh, like a wild yeast that got away in the fermentation, perhaps. Um, it's just not okay uh, to style because of that, sadly. But uh, you know, otherwise, it seems like recipe wise and ingredients it looks good. It's fairly good, but uh, in the mouthfeel, it's light bodied. Um, that seems you know kind of where it it should be a pretty light. Uh, you know, medium light to medium bodied beer. Um, and it's got a bit of a biting sensation from the phenolic um, with a medium astringency. I'm almost getting a little heat now, too, in the back of my throat. It's not as, uh, you know, I want a crisp, quenching beer. So, uh, you know, I hope that uh, just be a nice, crisp, quenching um, uh, Kolsch, and it's it's just not there. Uh, it's, there's no alcohol not really too much alcohol warmth. At first, I thought there's none, but maybe it's just the bitingness from the phenolic that's giving me the impression of some warmth here. Um, mm-hmm. The carbonation was kind of medium, medium low. Um, so overall, it's just um, you know, something going on with the fermentation here. I would say, um, otherwise, it's it's somewhat to to style as far as the you know the malt to hot balance. Uh, but these issues are kind of covering up a lot of the other flavors that would otherwise make this beer a lot more pleasant and enjoyable. Uh, you know, there's there's some flavors in there that are that are nice. Um, but I would watch for wild yeast contamination. Just pick pitch an extra amount of healthy, vigorous yeast in there. And uh, you know, with acetaldehyde, you want to leave it on the yeast long enough to reabsorb any of that that's generated early in fermentation. Um, and especially with a Kolsch, you'll want to you'll want to probably lager it for a few weeks too after the ale, you know, low ale temp fermentation is going. Um, but yeah, not you don't want to also leave it on the yeast too long, where that the yeast will start kicking stuff back out. And I've had that actually happen to a beer of mine recently. Oh man, I did a lager and it, was, it tasted great, and then I let it sit too long. And I was like, just trying to cool it down, lagered it, and left it on the yeast. I should have transferred it off, but I was lazy. And then I was really slow in dropping the temperatures. Whenever I thought of it, I'd drop it down a few degrees. And it turned from a really nice lager with a little dry hop into just um, acetaldehyde pumpkin skin flavor. Gross, dude. <laughs> and I, but I actually kind of rescued it. And I, I, I brought it back to life by uh, croisoning the beer. Okay. And it reabsorbed the croisoning. I just put a, a you know, made a nice good-sized starter and pitched some fresh yeast into there and got it going to just the point of high ferment. Dumped it in there while it was going and let it, you know, put an airlock back on it, let it bubble out for a while. Yeah. And uh, it, it kind of came back to life. And it was drinkable. I, I wasn't Ooh, embarrassed was to pour it for people. Okay. You'd, <laughs> yeah, you sort of, I wouldn't say rescued it, but you definitely prolonged its, yeah. its it drift downwards. <laughs> yeah, I, I, called, I just called it lager. It, was like, okay. it wasn't any kind of style anymore. It was just like rescued lager. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Char, you're up. Yeah, I largely uh, echo what uh, Cooper said. Uh, but first, Kenny, are you in a homebrew club? I am not. I am not. You are a lone wolf. Okay, that's... Uh, I, I am. Nothing wrong with <laughs> that. Of one. So, uh, 
Yeah, I uh, won't uh, belabor uh, uh, Brian's points uh, in general. I mean, I, I already Roma, belabored them. Yeah, well, no, you you, you labored. I won't belabor them. Uh, <laughs> Aroma, I think, was largely uh, Band-Aid kind of phenolic, which overwhelmed everything else. And it was a very specific Band-Aid rather than like a smoky or, or a plastic. Uh, there was a certain brand of Band-Aid? Uh it's the one that has Dora on them, <laughs> the Dora the Explorer ones for little kids. No, uh, that Sorry. was always my daughter's favorite when she was like three. She had to have the Dora Band-Aids, damn it. Not the other plain ones, the oh, Dora no. ones. That won't do. Uh, no, of course not. Uh, there, as it warms up, definitely got a little low malt, which is really pleasant. Uh, got some uh, apple acetaldehyde uh, aroma as well. My, to me, it came across a little more apple than pumpkin, but I definitely got a little pumpkin. Mm. But even that was kind of overwhelmed by the uh, the Band-Aid. Uh, and I didn't get the uh, any of the esters I would expect from the warmer temperature Kolsch yeast fermentation, right? Because Kolsch is kind of in that weird gray area between lager and ale. And the point is that higher higher than normal German temp is supposed to give you a little uh, little bit of uh, fruity ester. So uh, give it four for aroma, uh, appearance, um, three out of three. Uh, the head was large and persistent, which was really great. Uh, it was clear, uh, I'm gonna, but not. it was a little bit of haze. And when you get to the recipe later, I'm just guessing right now there's some wheat because they had kind of a wheat-type low haze, which is okay for style. Yeah, it did have some yeah. kind of weediness to it. But so it was certainly wasn't a hazy IPA, and it certainly wasn't, you know, chunkies or anything. It was, to me, within the range of acceptability for a Kolsch, because Kolsch can have up to, like, 20% wheat, uh, and that's going to give you a little bit of a haze. Uh, very pale gold, definitely on the pale end of the style, but, you know, that's, that's a good achievement. Uh, flavor... Again, like with the aroma, the Band-Aid kind of uh, overwhelmed uh, pretty much everything. Uh, low malt did come up in mid-palate. Didn't get any hop flavor, uh, which is okay for style. Uh, sort of medium-low hop bitterness in the finish, which did balance. It was very well attenuated, uh, so that was good. 5 out of 20 for flavor. Uh, mouthfeel gave it 4 out of 5. Body was medium-low. Uh, medium carbonation, uh, no warming, no astringency. Uh, I want maybe a little more carbonation. This Kolsch is a style that typically is kind of lively and you know, higher carb. Yeah, I thought so too, yeah. So uh, overall impression, uh, I mean, the recipe seems spot on. I agree with Brian's perception, but maybe not quite his diagnosis because I—, I, I as a clinician of homebrew, uh, you know, we can have different. Uh, my, my second opinion uh, here from Brian's is that the ferment. I, I'm not seeing that this is a wild yeast problem because typically when you've got a wild yeast problem, it the beer ends up being super carbonated and, you know, almost gushing. Mm-hmm. And to me, I mean, I've struggled with phenol over the years. Uh, it sounds like I've like a com- commercial for some kind of drug. I've struggled with phenol for years. Uh, <laughs> And to me, it definitely, it typically comes down to like two things. To, for, for my process, at least, yeah. either it was the dumb thing. Like I used to brew with garden hose water. Don't ever do that. If you do that, right. stop doing it. Get the white potable water RV hose. Because you know, dumb me for like two years. Like, why are all my beers slightly phenolic? And this guy used a damn garden hose to put water in my my kettle. Uh, the other thing is, I don't know. And you can. I, I want to hear about this when you talk about your your process. Yeah, if your if your water is highly chlorinated or chloraminated, uh, you definitely are going to need to either charcoal filter at like a very low flow rate, or and or use part of a Camden tablet to take that uh, that chlorine or chloramine out of your water, or just do the approach where you go buy RO water and then or spring water or something and build it build it back up. Uh, and the fact that the meat for me, the fact that it's not super carbonated tells me it's more of a water issue than a wild yeast issue. What, what do you think about that, Brian? That could very well be, and unless you're one of the old school brewers that uses uh, chlorine bleach to sanitize your bottles. <laughs> I no, did that in 1993. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think that was the case. So, I, yeah. Let's talk to Ken about it. Ken, what do you so, think? So, it's really going to kind of blow your mind because I actually had a uh, 10 gallon RO system installed in my house last July. Wow. Um, I do a lot with the, the water profile as far as adding some uh, 
different salts and stuff. So um, be pretty clean. So this, I'm, I'm totally wrong. That's good to know. Uh, so what I did, <laughs> I can tell you that on this one, like um, my sulfate to chloride ratio is about two to one. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, ninety three and a half ppm on the sulfate to forty one on the chloride. Um, yeah. Well, and chloride so, wouldn't hurt you. Just the chloramines or, or chlorine would hurt you. But uh, yeah, it's diff- different molecules. Uh, cl- different cl- chloride yeah. ion is a part of a lot of brewing salts. So yeah, and that's not a problem mm. unless it's really really high. So now I do use be um, I, I use lactic acid to uh, lower the pH level. I put about mm. four milliliters in on that, and I, uh, this particular pH uh, came in at. After mash, I was at five point. Uh, looks like about five point three. That's perfectly um, fine. That's right where you ought to be. Um, so I will tell you the the biggest problem that happened with this was the yeast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I I actually so this was the first time I've ever used Imperial Dieter yeast. Um, hmm. And so I threw it, I pitched, and I had absolutely zero activity for four days. Um, so the, the, the yeast I bought came from Texas, and it was like probably 100 degrees in Texas when they <laughs> shipped it out. And it came to my house, and it just so happened to be a hot, a hot day that, that day that I received it. So it sat on my porch for, uh, you know, until I got home from work. So I threw it in the fridge, um, got no activity for four days, and then I called. Um, I actually contacted Imperial about it. Yeah, they overnighted me a package of yeast from Oregon all the way to Ohio. Well, that's nice. Of uh, yeah, it was really cool. And the funny thing is, the day it was supposed to arrive, I started to get activity. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, so Brian, it, Brian's totally it, right on that one. Then I, I suspect you're. There, everything in that can was dead that you initially got because it was just so high temperature. And then whatever little bit of residual wild yeast were in your fermenter were taking off at four days, and then the introduction of the fresh yeast probably didn't help. I mean, Brian, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeast, yeast that's un, unhappy can kick off a lot of... A lot of different flavors. And, yeah. Well, and when I got the, when them. I got the second pouch, I pitched it later that afternoon when mm-hmm. I got home from work, and within about twelve hours, the thing was really ripping. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know it fit. It's the starting gravity was about ten forty six, and it finished at ten oh four. Yeah, it's pretty dry. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that. I definitely had a yeast issue. I think if it would have been a cleaner fermentation, that that's the one thing that I was definitely concerned about. Yeah, and that's one point to, to Brian's point about sometimes um, having phenolic beers also be overcarbonated. That's uh, you know when the ferment is is not allowed to to finish out, or when the um, the uh, issue is in the bottles and it's taking off in there with some wild yeast and getting getting phenolic, then it will overcarbonate in the bottle. But if it's finished out to ten oh four, there's not much left there for it to do. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly the, right. The other thing that happened, um, I, I have uh, spike conical fermenters that have temperature control in them. Some fun stuff over there. Yeah, I got a lot of money wrapped up in that in a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> you, drive a, you drive a 1974 use, Pinto because of this. Yeah. No, I, I just bought a brand new car. Too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Life is good in Ohio right now, man. Right? Yeah, it yeah. is, I guess. You know, but, those uh, California so, housing prices. So what really, what happened, though, is so my, my temperature control, I actually just, I'm waiting for a glycol chiller to arrive in November. I ordered one at HomebrewCon from uh, Craft of Brew. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That thing looks but, cool, uh, man. It, yeah. It, 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 it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And it, it was a good price, and they're supposed to ship it out in November. But in the meantime, I have uh, an igloo cooler that I just fill with uh, uh, bottles of ice, and then I run you know cold water through the, uh, through the coils. Well, this one for some reason was running a lot and i uh i missed judged it at one point and didn't change the bottles out fast enough and uh 
it spiked up to about 72, 73 degrees, and I, I was concerned that that got a little too hot for the fermentation. Eh, shouldn't hurt it too badly, but no, yeah, I, I think your, not your primary. Issue yeah, I think here. your first, no. your, your primary issue was was what you already talked about, and because if, you know, you're swirling this beer and smelling it, it sort of smells like sourdough like. Mm-hmm. So to me, uh, though, you got a funky thing that took off and replicated a little faster than than your other yeast. It also, I mean, it, it, there's a spicy phenol, but it also tastes like sanitizer. Yeah, it tastes like bit. i like iodophore or something like that. So I don't know if that's a, a potential issue, or maybe you didn't rinse the. I don't know how you sanitize the like, cans or whatever, yeah. but chloroseptic. Can, well, with the yeah. cans, I just I have a bucket of uh, star sand usually, and I'll yeah. dip the cans and, dump, and like let it sit for a minute and then dump them. Okay. I, I think uh, we're kind of reaching too I far too. at that point because it's pretty clear. Yeah. I mean that that first yeast, anything that was still alive in there. Uh, was probably probably is resulting in the acetaldehyde. Yeah, but would that would that kick off like um like a sanitized like a chlorine sanitizer sort of like thing? Like that's what I get over anything any other well, yeah. issue that could be fermentation well, related. Right? Well, that's wild yeast is a, one of the sources of the chlorophenol mm. flavors, and that's what I mean. The, if Okay. Even if you're sanitizing, you're not sterilizing, right? You're sanitizing. Right. And the point is you're you're getting everything else down low enough that when you pitch that big slug of yeast, it takes off and produces the flavors you want before the other stuff can get a foothold. Right. Yeah. So if, if four days later that gives the wild yeast that you didn't kill, right, that the few the little the few yeasts that are left, the stuff in the air that can get a foothold and start taking off. And it replicates faster, I think, than, than cultured, like, brewer's yeast. It is. Like it bacteria is. and it's stuff. I think it's like yeah. anything else, right? So maybe the first day or four, you're not getting a lot. But by day four, yeah, it's taken off, man. Yeah. Right. And it's not just the, the chlorophenolic medicinal thing. It's like the plastic, plastic adhesive strip that Brian... Two was talking about so yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah thank you for sharing this with us Kenny I hope I hope you were looking for this the kind of feedback that we've been giving you too um, <laughs> yeah for sure yeah, I, I, no I was I, I, I was scored it I scored it I meant to tell you uh, as an eighteen I just kind of it wasn't a thirteen point beer it's just you know it's you can tell that it's a decently brewed beer otherwise and the process and the ingredients were fine before it got into the ferment but you just had a ferment problem something got away in there. Yeah, yeah. And I gave it an, an. I realized I didn't give you my score. I gave it a nineteen, and I, I appreciate and respect the fact that you will uh, send this beer in and take this uh, this feedback, which is not probably real pleasant to hear. Uh, but I think you kind of you you knew what was going on with this. I think you had a pretty good handle on on the cause, and probably were not surprised by these these numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I the other so with with the ferment or with the yeast, I think I was already behind the eight ball, anyways. But yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't. I also wanted to lager that beer longer, and I I only had it in the. I mean, you know, it was like maybe a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I've, this was the first beer that I ever uh, did a closed pressure transfer, mm-hmm. and it was the first beer that I've ever once I was done. Once it was done fermenting, I, I put CO2 into it, and I actually was carbing while it was in the fermenter. Yeah. Um, so I guess one of the questions I, I had was I, – I, um, There was no oxidation problem. <laughs> what, what's that? There was no oxidation problem. Not at all. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I, uh, I harvest my yeast, and I actually harvested out of this one, but you would probably suggest to dump that, wouldn't you? Yes. Um, Okay, yeah. So uh, the next time, I, I liked the Dieter yeast. I liked some of the fruit. I got a little bit of fruit yeah. esters out of it. A little bit. Um, and uh, I, I thought about using it again because I'd like to try to perfect this beer and get it, you know get it better and enter it in, in NHC next year. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. I, I'd say do, do not it, worth it. Do it, but don't have it shipped in the middle of the summer in Ohio, where it's a hundred degrees. It'll be out on your porch. Do it. Do it in the wintertime, or make sure you have plenty of ice packs, or buy it at your local homebrew store or something, so you don't yeah. get it to be yeah. anything that wasn't dead in there. Probably wasn't real good for your beer. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, Ken. Excellent. Well, hey, man, we're gonna let you go. That's all right. With Thanks, you. buddy. All right, dude. Take it easy. <laughs> Thank you much. All right, take care. Bye. I wanted to ask him about more stuff, but we're just kind of running out of time. 
Well, we only uh, got an hour for the we'll, show, uh, boys, and we'll have them rebrew it, and we'll get it again. As that's a, right. It's it's a podcast. We can go as long as we want. Right no, now. no, we got an hour. Mm. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with some more beers and some more more talking, uh, more talking back after this. Examination. All right. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us here. We're going to be uh, we're opening this beer bottle right now. As a matter of fact, we're going to be talking to Kevin with a Katarina Sour. Now, we've had one of these before, right, Brian? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let me, uh, let me yes, turn your microphone on. Sure. Oh, yeah. It was it was pretty new to me at the time, and it's still. I have to say, I'm not. It's not a style that I'm super experienced with, but I, I enjoy learning about it. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's same. <laughs> I was trying to like uh, work off what you said. Don't know much about it. Still don't remember much about it. Even though we had somebody on the on the show to talk to us about it at least at least twice. It's very interesting. It's very. I don't know. It seems like the new hotness yeah. too, to be honest with you. Did Brian shake up the first bottle that we that we poured for ourselves, or he may have? Well, that's called for by the style guidelines, right? The X four is like uh, judges must shake the bottle vigorously right. before uh, opening. Brian's not very good at pouring beers. Mm. Uh, Kevin, are you there? I am here. Hey, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. I guess tonight. Yeah, not too shabby. Pretty good. Katarina Sour. Yeah. Is this something you've done before? I've done this one a few times, yeah. Okay, all right. And you like the style? I Obviously, do like the style. Yeah. I, I, I like fruit in my beer. Nice. How long have you been making home brews over there? We've talked to you before, so this we is did. all probably uh, just old news. Review. But just refresh yeah. my aging memory, please. Oh, about 15 years. I all mean. right, there you go. There we go. Nice. 15 <laughs> years. And then Katarina Sour three or four times. All right, are you getting closer to perfecting that style, or do you just like it and you drink it and it doesn't really, you're not trying to I, perfect the recipe? Right. I, I mean, I like it. I drink it, and it's fun at festivals, and I'll mix up the fruits here and there. And, okay. So. Just, yeah. so it's it's just like a, a platform just to monkey around with. It's yeah. not like I need to make the perfect thing, right? Exactly. Okay. You, you did mix it up here. We're, we're talking mango... Pineapple, strawberry, and Hawaiian punch. Is that right? That's right. That's a fun one. <laughs> I was curious okay. if Hawaiian punch was an ingredient, or if that was your descriptor of the combination of mango, pineapple, and strawberry. It is both. So that's that's the that's the combination mm. of fruit in Hawaiian punch, and then there I, I added for Hawaiian punch to that beer. Because right. why not? It is a yeah. tinge yeah. pinkish here in this, especially in this second pour we got. That's much clearer. <laughs> that, that, that I didn't allow Brian two to shake up. <laughs> Damn it, Number I two, it, don't shake, shake the it. bottles. Yeah. All right, Brian, too. Why don't you start us off, man? All right. So uh, I really liked this beer. Uh, aroma, uh, 9 out of 12. Uh, I think the mango and especially the strawberry stand out. Um, and when we get to the recipe, I'm going to be curious. Don't, don't tell me now, but I'll be curious about how you added the Hawaiian punch and specifically what flavor it was. Because okay. strawberry tends to be a, a flavor that when you add the raw fruit to beer, it's, it's really tricky. Uh, the strawberry flavor typically doesn't come out a lot. And like uh, Nicole Ernie was, uh, I, I learned this from Nicole a while back, it's the little seeds in the pineapples tend to give it like a little bit of an off flavor, unless you're going to be really careful to strain those seeds out. I mean, strawberry is just a very problematic ingredient. Having said that, this comes out with a really nice strawberry aroma. Mm. Uh, it's difficult to judge not knowing, you know, going in blind what the flavor of Hawaiian punch was. So it was a little bit difficult to tell quite what was contributing what to the flavor or, or the aroma. Uh, I had a low lactic slash citrus sour. Uh, no hop aroma, no malt aroma. That's okay for the style. Uh, although I did have a note, got sort of a low malt aroma as it warms. No off aromas. Appearance, three out of three. Uh had a slight haze in the first pour, which is okay for the style. Second pour was a lot clearer because, you know, I didn't, you know, shake it up a lot out in the other room before I, I poured it. Uh, no, I, I actually didn't shake either one. They just It's weird. Just, that's how bottle handling can be. Uh, sometimes you just – something happens to one and it's hazy and the next one, the next one is clear. Uh, medium head with good retention. Color was a very light straw. Uh, flavor, uh, 13 out of 20. 
There was a, a lactic sourness at kind of a medium level, along with uh, strawberry uh, and mango at the beginning. Uh, mid-palate, there's a very low hot bitterness. Uh, and I may have been talking myself into that, but I guess the but the primary balance in this beer is not between malt and hop. It's between kind of fruit and sour. And maybe that's the point of the Katerina Sour. It kind of seems like that's maybe the, the goal here is to balance on those two dimensions. The goal is definitely not any hop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the guidelines are very clear about that. Yeah. This is like, yeah, no, hops Hops yeah. have to be there is something in there. Subdetectable. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's very well attenuated. Uh, again, it's per style. There's no Brett Funk. Uh, it's supposed to be lactic. Uh, maybe I, I always get the impression this is maybe more of a riff on a Berliner Weiss uh, than a riff on more of a Belgian-type uh, sour. Uh, it didn't really taste the pineapple. Uh, it's like I didn't really get much pineapple in the aroma. But overall, it was really good. 13. Uh, mouthfeel, 5 out of 5. Body was low. Carbonation was low. A little bit lower than expected, but still, I think, within within the guidelines. And it's difficult to tell in a style that I don't have a lot of familiarity with, and there really aren't any commercial examples. Uh, you just kind of have to go by what the, the BJCP uh, guidelines say. More lactic than creamy, not warming, more astringent. Again, 5 out of 5. Overall impression, 7 out of 10. Really, really like this. I mean, I would drink uh, several pints of this thing, given the opportunity. Uh, hits the major marks on style. Uh, the... I, I feel like when you're adding Hawaiian punch, because one of the things the guidelines say is yes. this should be natural fruit and not artificial flavoring. Uh, and I don't know if Uh-oh. Hawaiian punch is artificial or if it well. counts as artificial or if it's made with all natural ingredients, but it's difficult to judge. Like I, I mentioned this in the aroma. It's difficult to kind of judge this beer when you have fruits and then Hawaiian punch when you don't declare like what flavor the Hawaiian punch is, um, so because we'll there assume, are different flavors of Hawaiian punch, right? I just assumed standard Hawaiian punch myself. Which well, yeah. true, but I mean, I'm I'm old enough to remember you would just get like the powder, like Kool Aid or something, and your mom would pour it in the right. pitcher and add yeah. like a shit ton of sugar. Well, I feel right. like yeah, yeah, Hawaiian punch is red, is punch, right? The red. But then they have flavors of the punch. Yeah, now if you declared the ingredient as Kool Aid, then you could say, well, what flavor Kool Aid? Because there's a bajillion of them. Right? There's seventeen <laughs> flavors of all these things these days, yeah. man. Okay, and leave uh, it to, overall, leave it to the lawyer in the room to start picking nits about. Details. There was no de- yeah, well, of course. That's what I'm here for, man. That's, that's, right. that's my job. That's my, that's my right. on the show here. My function is to focus on minutia that no one cares about. Uh, aside from the final score, which is 37 <laughs> out of 50. I really like this beer, okay. despite my focus on the minutia. Awesome. All right, Brian Cooper. All right. Um, so, yeah, I've got two different samples in front of me here. One is completely hazy and one is completely clear. <laughs> and you can see some little pinkish tinges in, in both of them, actually. That's kind of a the, – the, the hazy one's kind of a weird salmon-y, you know, color because of that. And the, you know, the clear one is just a nice you – know, well, it doesn't have much of a head, but it's uh, – you know, it's nice and clear, and it's it's got that pinkish tinge with a little gold and some some yellowy highlights in there. It's a, a little appearance goes a long way, but what's in in that what's causing that haze seems to also be affecting the flavor and the aroma because I'm getting different impressions from each. So I'll just go through quickly each each one of them. Uh, the the aroma. So I judged the hazy one first. Um, just what we poured. Brian shook him up, like I said, probably um, lightly lactic sour with aroma of strawberry. Um, kind of a seedy, pulpy or strawberry smell. Not like the fresh, bright, fresh, clean strawberry um, skin or you know, like um, whatever juice aroma. But strawberry is tough to get out of a beer. Um, there's a light mango, a pretty faint pineapple. I'm I'm not sure. Um, in either of these versions, I would really even declare much pineapple because I'm not getting much at all. Um, but it's it's not hurting the beer at all. Um, no obvious Hawaiian punch in the nose. Uh, lightly malty, no hops, no obvious yeast-derived esters. Um, seems clean, low, and balanced. Um, uh, Appearance-wise, it was kind of a pale yellow straw color with a pink tinge and a moderate haze. Uh, very low head that faded almost immediately after pouring. Uh, pale white 
kind of tiny bubbles on the edges of the glass and and only a few bubbles rising up through the beer i would say both samples are are similarly low in carbonation which is hurting the beer a little bit um so i gave it a two on appearance for the hazy one but actually uh, i guess i kind of forget if i would forgive it a little bit and, and bring it up to a uh, a three for the the one that's nice and clear because uh, I just like the way it looks a little better and I like the way that pinkness comes through better. Uh, so in the flavor, it's nicely tang- tangy and smooth actually. And now that's where I'm starting to get the Hawaiian punch flavor. Mm-hmm. The impression that comes through a lot better in the flavor. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that maybe because the 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 sourness is kind of aiding that. I was like, okay, you kind of expect that nice, tangy, bright, um, tropical punch flavor uh, just kind of playing that way. So um, all the fruits that are here with the Hawaiian punch are, are making it come through nicely that way. And the, you know, I think the, 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 bright, the clearer one tastes just a little bit more, more better. <laughs> <laughs> in that regard, it's even a little more Hawaiian punch or something in the way and the other one a little bit. Um, so yes, definitely balanced to that that sourness um, in the um, the hazed example. But I think that the fruit and the sourness is all, you know, the fruit's almost even in the hazed example. But it's it's pretty even, if not winning out slightly in the in the clearer versions. So there's something, you know, maybe there's some some of the bugs or something that are still in that glass that are giving it kind of a little funkiness. Or that's not super funky actually, but it's more just the the lactic sourness is a little. A little stronger and wins out over the fruit in that the hazy version to me. That's the opposite in the other one. So I would give it another point or so in the uh, in the flavor that way. I think I went fourteen to fifteen on flavor uh, from the hazy to the clear. Mouthfeel wise, it's very similar. Just medium light bodied, low carbonation. Needs more. Um, no alcohol warmth or astringency. It's smooth, not very biting at all. Just a bit of pucker to it, and and that's nice for the beer. Um, but yeah, a little carbonation would drive um, nice little prickliness, and and also getting to the overall impression, I think it would also drive some of those fruity flavors and aromas a little bit more efficiently and better. So um, you know, overall, it's a it's a nice, clean, and pleasant Caterina sour for what I know of the style, and an interesting balance um, where the fruit wins slightly uh, over, over the. Uh, sourness in the aroma but then it kind of inverts itself in the flavor where the sourness wins at least in the hazy version of the flavor uh but in the in the the clearer the second pour we got it's it's a little more what i expect so i'd probably bump it up a point there and um you know i guess that puts me a little higher than i was so i was landing at a 35 on the first version and and if i add a point for you know, aroma, appearance, which I would question maybe, uh, and, and, and flavor and uh, overall impression, that's that's four more points. That, that's, you know, 39 or, or maybe 38 if, I, if I'm if i not nice on the appearance and say, <laughs> oh, it should, still, it should have a head and it should have more more carbonation that I can see. Um, but it's a, it's a really nicely brewed beer and uh, it's kind of fun to taste, definitely. I like the, the Hawaiian punch fruit. Didn't taste extremely artificial to me i mean if you declare hawaiian punch along with all along with these fruits you put in here i get some of the natural fruit and again strawberry is a hard one to get and and it's coming through nicely over the other ones uh but that hawaiian punch comes through in the flavor pretty in a pretty cool way with everything else that's going on there so you know it's a really fun beer thanks for sharing that yeah try mixing the uh, hazy and the clear oh yeah and it's kind of interesting. It's maybe a little more balanced than either one of them. Or maybe my palate's just kind of fatigued from the sour at this point. Or getting used to it. Getting yeah. Exactly. Getting used to it is a good way to Do put it. we have a that. carbonator in here? We can... Did you uh, drop a score? No, I, I heard a lot of uh, theoreticals about the, the score. My score but, is 35 yeah. to 39. It's a range. Mm. No. you got to pick one. Then well the average is thirty seven. All right, let's just give them the yeah. So then we're even. We both have a thirty seven. Okay, Kevin. Sorry about. I'm sorry about my co-host's inability to commit to a score. Well, but we did it for you. I would say thirty eight if it was the clear example. So. Okay. Did we uh, lose him? Did we lose you, Kevin? With all that head spinning scoring, nope, I'm, I'm right here. Sorry, I pressed mute so I wouldn't interrupt. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, well, with all that, uh, tell us about this beer. 
So yeah, the uh, and those scores like the range echoes every score she'd ever gotten on that beer before. <laughs> and I absolutely do not declare the Hawaiian punch when I enter it in okay. competitions. Um, just it confuses judges, and it's just a goofy thing to put in beer anyway. So it's supposed to have. Um, but no, the, the recipe is real straightforward. It's just fifty-five percent white wheat and forty-five percent pilsner malt, and uh, I. Uh, do not boil this beer ever. Um, mm-hmm. So I get my wort, bring it up to 160, and then cool it to 110. Pitch a probiotic, let it uh, you know acidify for a couple days until it's in the mid threes, and then bring it back to 160, cool it again, and pitch USO5 and let it ferment out. Hmm. Like a good and belly then, probiotic, or uh... yeah, exactly good yeah. belly. Yeah. Cool. That's a great idea to not boil it because I think that's why. I generally don't care for kettle sours, and I think it's because once you boil something that's got alcohol and yeast, organisms, or, or, organisms not yeast, bacteria, yeah. I think it, bad things tend to happen. I think it's really smart to kind of pasteurize it by getting it back up to like 160 and you know no, knocking those bacteria out yeah. and then adding the USO5. I've never heard of people doing that. Maybe I just don't yeah. pay enough attention to the kettle souring process. Could be. That's a really good idea. That might be. Yeah, you get that yeah. cooked, meaty, you know, uh, microorganism yeah. Well, I wonder, right. if, I wonder if, if that's also why a lot of them taste, they taste like yogurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this doesn't. I, I, I wouldn't have known. No. You really start tasting the, the, the critter that made it rather yeah. than the, what it made. Yeah, there's it, kind of a, out. to me, kettle sours can have kind of a dirty character mm-hmm. to them. And that, this does not have, this is a very clean beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I get the same thing on the boil. When it, when it gets boiled, you get that, uh, it's not meaty, but it's, there's something there yeah. uh, yeah. with it. So. Yeast-like or something, yeah. Yeah. So, um Fruit, uh, there it's a five pound, five gallon batch, and there was four pounds of mixed fruit, <laughs> and so the strawberry, mango, and, and uh, pineapple. And again, pineapple is I've always had a hard time getting pineapple to come through, especially with all the other busy stuff in this beer. But yeah, uh, I don't know if I should keep declaring that or not. But then, uh, so I add that in, and I add about 40 to 50 ounces of just red old style Hawaiian punch. Mm. And it re-ferments and blows off a blow-off tube and goes crazy for a few days and settles down and is a really pink beer off the off the keg and that's pretty and then, for sure. So yeah, I don't know. Would you would you determine that there was pineapple in this beer, Cooper? I'm getting it in the. It in tastes the like very it. aftertaste. Yeah, like the the very very aftertaste. But would you after the finish as a judge, would either of you, I guess, like go? Well, I really feel there's a missing ingredient that you're not declaring. Should he keep declaring this? I think that the you know the one of the key elements of the pineapple is that it's so puckeringly sour that that's mm-hmm. part of what defines it. And the actual flavor mm-hmm. of the pineapple is more well, it's there, but it's more subtle. And when you blend it with all the beer flavors and the other fruits, it might get a little lost. And it's just okay. Well, it's tangy, okay. but it's not mouth puckeringly sharply tangy because mm-hmm. the beer is not supposed to be, and it's just kind of there. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would. I would I would either bump it up or or you know and declare it or bump it back a little bit and not declare it. I don't know. I mean, I made a note in it's my my score sheet that I wasn't really tasting a lot of pineapple, but I didn't really knock it down for that. It was just mm-hmm. more of an observation because like we, we were mm. saying was yeah, there's tartness is part of pineapple, and I could say all right, well I can get maybe because pineapple is like watermelon, it's very watery, and maybe you're getting some of the tartness. But you're not maybe getting a lot of the flavors. That's a thing that could happen yeah. with, with watermelon. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would maybe bump up your pineapple a little bit. I agree with Brian. Or as a competition organizer, I would allow an entrant, in, if it was my choice, to declare low pineapple, high mm. strawberry, or whatever, what have you. You know? Oh, interesting, yeah. Why not? Let them, let them tell you what they wanted in their beer. And how you should understand their beer. And That's then a good go idea. That's yeah. what they should do. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. Why not? It makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I like that. That's really smart. But I've never heard anyone bring that up before. And it, yeah. it, it gets around the problem of having the de- when you declare an ingredient. Because, you know, Brian and I have our opinions. You enter it in a competition. When you declare an ingredient, people think it ought to slap you in the face. A lot of the time, or at least a good judge should th- will think that it should be in balance with the beer flavor that's there. You know, a good judge should think that, but not every judge 
<laughs> is a there's a bell curve. Fifty uh, percent of judges are below average, and I don't mean to slag anybody here, but I mean you're you're putting your beer in front of it, it, people. Tend to enter competitions when they declare ingredients. They'll they'll, they'll really emphasize the declared ingredients so that judge, no matter what level the judge is, he or she will say that's that's in there all right, uh, mm-hmm. and that's not the the calculus you ought to be making as a judge. But that's what not yeah. what all judges do, so that's not what all entrants plan for. I mean, am I making any sense here? Yeah. Yeah. I would say keep keep making this beer, Kevin. It's fun. It's interesting. I would like to taste a version where you doubled the fruit and dropped the Hawaiian punch. Okay. But Yeah, I yeah. agree. Why not? You know, I mean it's a lot yeah, of fruit to deal you, with. It's not fun in the fermenter, but hey. Yeah. What are you putting your orders in now? Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a fun festival beer to <laughs> tell people that there's Hawaiian punch and what yeah. I just gave them. So. All that fruit gets expensive, too, but, you know, <laughs> the freshest stuff you can find from, you know, if you can get it at a, at a farmer's market rather than a grocery store, that'll help you mm-hmm. pick it. You know, fresh oh ripened off a tree. I would say the reverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I where, where do you think he lives? Beer, so he's going to pick up the cheap fruit. Mm, right. Yeah, exactly. Kevin, can you pick pineapples off a tree where you are? Uh, outside of Kansas City, no. Okay, no, not so much. <laughs> you know, Cooper was talking about picking stuff off a tree, and I just sorry, I was just laughing at that. My first thought was, I didn't think you were in Hawaii, which makes that pineapple a difficult proposition. Hey, strawberries mm. don't grow on trees, Brian. No, I know, right. man. Or Chili. Uh, yeah. Anything else, Kevin? You got anything to say? No, we covered it. Any questions? The Hawaiian punch you can pick fresh off the tree. Well, of well, course. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot for sending this beer in. Awesome. Thanks. Yep. Send us something else someday, buddy. Cheers. Thanks, man. Bye. All right. Cool. Thanks. All right. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's All right. Cool. We're going to take our, our, our remaining break, and then, uh, okay. we're, and then we're going to get out of here. Hang on just a sec. We'll be right back. It's Dr. Homebrew. Hello, fellow BNers. This is Sully from the 21st Amendment Brewery located in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park. Before Nico and I opened the 21A and before I was a professional brewer, I homebrewed on my small four-burner apartment stove in a back house in Santa Monica, California, making my extract brews before graduating to the daunting idea of all-grain brewing. Homebrew books and information was hard to come by back then. The Internet hadn't been invented yet, along with other things we take for granted today, like electricity and potable water. One thing I wish I had back then when I was learning was a radio show that could teach me the ins and outs of brewing and answer questions that I had about homebrewing, a resource for making great craft beer. The 21st Amendment Brewery is excited to be a proud sponsor of Dr. Homebrew, a great show that teaches you what you need to know about making incredible beer. Good stuff. Listen up. You might learn something. I certainly did. And thanks for your support. Tasty Crack Kings. The leader in affordable, high-quality kegerators is here. Introducing Comos, the kegerator designed with serious beer drinkers in mind. It features an all-stainless steel draft tower, a major upgrade over traditional chrome-plated brass towers, and Comos keeps your new tower cold with their air-cooled tower fan, wrapping your beer lines in frigid coolness. Your beer is poured from innovative forward-sealing faucets that don't leak, so they stay cleaner for longer. Dual gas inlets on the rear of the fridge allow you to run both CO2 and nitrogen gas. Serve your beer with CO2, serve your kegged wine, or even cocktails with nitrogen. The digital temperature display has the largest range available, allowing you to use the Comos Kegerator for fermentation if you need to. And now Comos Kegerators ship with duo-tight draft fittings for that click-to-connect assembly we've all dreamed of. Buy direct from ComosDraft.com and receive free shipping on your order. That's K-O-M-O-S Draft.com. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're going to have to pour you out. Back to Dr. Homebrew. All right, we're going to wind up here on the show called the Dr. Homebrew. Reeling her in. That's right. Uh, thank you very much to Kenny and Kevin for sending us a couple good beers. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm still blown away that, that homebrewers can can their beer. That's that just cool. trips me out, man. He wins extra points just for that. <laughs> should, should I say it? I mean, it's been said. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've never had homebrew in the can. Oh. Well, I yeah. mean, hey, you know what? There's a first time for everything, Brian. Uh, you know, go to a few more uh, EDM festivals. And that might, uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll have it at the can again. That's right. It might happen for you, dude. I have faith. 
100% faith in you. All right. Appreciate that. Yeah, well, you know, that's what we do. Thank you to our loyal listeners. Yes. That's right. I really appreciate you we, guys listening to this weird show. We enjoy meeting you in the wild, like at Homebrew Con and other places and uh, festivals and fun things but yeah it's super fun and it's great that people actually like you like to listen to us talk about drinking beer that you're not drinking please send us ideas and feedback and for god's sake send us beer brian at the brewing network.com that's right if you want to get on the show brian at the brewing network.com and get on the show yeah we need it if you want to keep hearing shows like this and uh, the show in particular we can't do it without home-brewed beer to judge and talk about and talk to you about. So Good or bad, send it if you want. Whatever kind of feedback you want. You're trying to perfect something or you've got a problem you're trying to figure out. Exactly. We're here to help. Exactly. So on the coming up show, or the show that we're going to do in about, I don't know, 15 minutes, we're going to do a uh, Munich Hellas also in cans. What? And then I think we're huh. going to do a commercial calibration of a Fest beer. It's all German beer show. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I really like the commercial calibration segments. I think that they're a lot of fun. And uh, you I've, know. Had, I've had people ask me for you know for those. They say they learned a little bit about the style and they enjoyed going through that that way. So I've had requests to do more of it. We're listening to you. We're going to do try to do more of that. <laughs> there you go. Very good. So All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in. And until next time. We're looking for a few good beers. There we go. And maybe some bad ones sometimes. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.